we've made a lot of changes. Um, no pulpit, uh, no pews, unified worship service. Some people don't like it. Uh, some people have even decided to go to different churches. Personally, I, I don't like that. Uh, it, it does bother me. Um, I wish everyone wanted to be a part of my church. Uh, and I say that, I know it's not my church, but I, I, I feel that way. But reactive changes and proactive changes uh, will continue to happen. It, it has to happen. The world around us has continued to change. Churches that try to do what they used to do, they stop being effective, and eventually they close the doors. Our statement of faith won't change. Uh, putting Jesus first will not change. Our strategy, our programs, um, our, our, our ways of operating will probably continue to change. You may not know me well. Um, you might actually think that I like change. That's, <laughs> there couldn't be anything further from the truth. Uh, I don't know if you've seen me um, preach with a, um, a green and black polo. It's long sleeve. It's mostly green. There's a little black. Uh, I, I share this because I, uh, I wear this shirt probably once every, I thought about wearing it today, but it's long sleeve, and I didn't want to be hot, but uh, I probably wear it once a month in the winter, um, so you've seen me in it a lot, and uh, there was a lady who attended first service here that sen she's since moved away, um, but she asked me one Sunday, she said, hey, can I borrow your shirt? I was like, what? <laughs> what do you, why do you want my shirt? She's like, can I, can I take that home? You've got a lot of snags throughout the shirt, and I think I can fix it. I'm going to pull those snags out for you. And, uh, and her name is Robin. You, I know a lot of you know her. Uh, Robin brought the shirt back in a couple weeks, and she said, hey, get a different shirt. I can't fix this. I still wore that shirt just a couple weeks ago, and I looked back. You know, on Facebook, there's those memories uh, that, that shows you stuff that happened a long time ago. At, uh, at my 10-year-old, uh, at her gender reveal party, I had that shirt on, and so uh, that was at least over 10 years ago. Um, anyway, what I'm trying to say is if this were my church, uh, I would set something in place, and we would do it the exact same way until I retired. I, I really would, that's, that's, that was kind of my dream. Get it, to the, get it how I like it, and then just for the next 30 years, just coast. Just do it, not, not coast as in don't work, but do it the same way. This is not my church. And when I face Jesus, I want to be able to look at him and tell him, I didn't do it my way, I tried to do it your way. This morning I want to look at some of his words, a parable, describing what I believe his way looks like. It's in Luke chapter 15. This is a very, very popular um, uh, chapter. There's three different stories, and you've probably heard sermons from all three of these if you've been in the church more than a couple years. Um, there's the, the lost sheep, parable of the lost sheep, of the lost coin, uh, and the lost son. All three share stories of God's joy when a, uh, a lost person, a lost sinner, repents or is found. So we're going to look at the first story this morning. Lot about the lost sheep. But before I do, I want to make an observation from the entire chapter of Luke chapter 15, these three stories. There's first the lost sheep, and the sheep, you're going to hear the story, but the, the sheep is gone, and the shepherd goes after it. And then there's this next story, which we're not going to read into the details, but a lady loses a coin, the lost coin, and so it says that she, um, she looks diligently. She, clean, she sweeps her house to try to find it. She looked with uh, intention. And then there's the lost son. Now, the dad didn't, didn't leave. 
but he watched carefully. And when the son got just within r- range, the dad started running towards him. And wh- what I see here is a, it's a story of, of God who actively comes after us, who actively pursues us. And, and so we're going to look into this story and, and really talk about the, the details of that. Uh, so Luke 15, starting in, cha- or starting in verse 1, it says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. All right, so I know I've explained some of this before because a lot of Jesus' parables were addressed to the tax collectors or the Pharisees or the sinners. And it's like, wait, aren't we all sinners? And, and it, the tax collectors were considered traitors uh, to the Jewish people. Uh, so they were like, they were very hated. You didn't want to be a tax collector. If you did, you didn't probably have very many friends. You were uh, excommunicated. You were, you were kind of put on onto the, the side of uh, I- just anything going on. Um, but the, the sinners, um, that's, uh, in it's, I'm, I'm quoting this here because that's the word it used. They were the people that had the jobs that weren't compatible with the law. And so what it, mean, what it meant was that like a tax collector, or if you had any other job, which I'm, I don't want to go into specifics on that, but people who had jobs that s- the religious people would say, you can't do that job and still follow God. And, and so it was the, the people who were not trying to hide it. I mean, they were sinners and they knew it and everyone knew it, and maybe they didn't even really care. Now, I don't know if we have that the same way today. I think maybe a little bit, but probably not on the same level uh, as, as back then. But you know the people that you don't want to be seen with in public? Ma- maybe maybe uh, you're, you're fine talking with them in public, but your friends are standing over there and they see you talking with this person, and then you go over when you're done and you say, well, I was just talking with them because I wanted to help them with something. Or I, I was over there talking, and you want to explain it. You, d- you don't want people to think, well, you associate with those people and you're friends with those kind of people. Uh, and I hope we don't have that, uh, but I, I think a lot of people are probably that way, and I think I've probably been that way, not not even considering it. Like I don't, I don't, I don't want people to think that I'm in that group. We probably do it more in school than anywhere. But Jesus, uh, it says, would eat with him. And what that meant was he he had a relationship with him. He wasn't just uh, he wasn't just going uh, to the to the food pantry and serving these people. He he actually m- moved in. He was he was living with him. Um, he he built relationships. He was he wasn't joining in their sin. We have to be careful in that. But he was loving them in their sin, and so he gave this very descriptive story of how he would do that. How how would he how would he love the the lost? Verse three. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now, I think this story is kind of fun. The Jewish leaders would not think that. They would have thought this, this idea, this, this story would have been really odd. I, I know it's up on the screen still, but really consider what is going on here. Um, the Jewish people believed that God would welcome a sinner if they came back. If someone repented and they came back and they said, I want to obey God, then, then they, they would be welcomed. But this idea of, of actually pursuing a lost sinner leaving the church, leaving the relationships that we have, the Christian community, and going out to people who don't know Jesus, this was a, a new idea. And then he actually, um, he, he tells this crazy story that I just, it doesn't make sense. I mean, numerically, it doesn't make sense. Think about it. There was a hundred sheep, and one went missing. What would you do if, uh, 
if you had $100, let's just say for some reason they were all $1 bills, and you lost $1, what would you do? How much effort would you go, uh, go to, to to find that $1? But then if you start to think about that a little bit more, what if you had $1,000 bills, $1,000, all in $100 bills, and you lost one of the $100 bills? Then what would you do? See, there's something, there's something that, that's the same ratio. It's still 100 to 1 ratio. There's something, was it 100 to 1 or 10 to 1? Yeah, 10 to 1. I, I just said, I didn't have that in my notes, and then I just said it, and that didn't add up. So, yeah, let's make it the same ratio. Say you have $10,000 and you lose a $100 bill. Would you still go after that? And then I think most of us probably would, right? Uh, why? What determines uh, whether we, we look for it or something or, not, uh, or something or not? What determines the value? See, it's more than just looking for one lost sheep. It's actually leaving the 99. And so there was risk in that too. Would you risk leaving the 99 in hopes of finding the one lost sheep? Would you, or would you just simply count it as loss and be happy with the 99 that you have? What could possibly motivate someone, a shepherd, to leave 99 sheep for the one? Have you ever carried you know, a big stack of papers outside. I could see just some papers laying around here. Maybe you've got a stack of 50 papers and uh, you're walking out and it's a windy day and one or two get, just say one, gets blown away. Um, and, you, and you go out, would you go after it? Because uh, you know what happens when you do that. You bend over to pick up the one and then three more fall out and then you try to get those and you lose like, then all of a sudden the whole stack's gone, right? Uh, you have a big mess. It's risky to go after the one. In this story, it's very risky. Whatever is on that one piece of paper better be pretty important. So would you leave the 99 for the one? That's the question. You would if you loved it. You would if you loved it. That's the determining factor. That's the difference. Jesus did it. This is the example. He said, and if this is his church, we have to do the same. But then what about the 99? Don't they matter? Don't the rest of them matter? What about the people who get upset because we make changes and decide to go to different churches. I could name them right now. I won't name them, but I could. Who takes care of the 99 sheep when we're looking after the one? When we prioritize the one, the lost person, over, over all the other Christians, who takes care of the 99? Well, in this story, it's a parable, so I, it might be irrelevant. I'm not sure. But I think the best explanation in this story is that the storyteller takes care of the 99. Jesus is the storyteller in, in this. He's giving us a model, um, a, a priority, an example. And so we follow it, we follow him, and we trust that the 99 will be okay. We can't operate in fear. We can't worry about making changes because someone doesn't like it. This is not a country club. We are all on a mission. We all have to work together at this. In one sense, I'd like to think that we Christians, uh, and I say I'm just assuming every person here, I know not every person in here has made that decision, um, but, but the Christians, um, we are all looking for the one. This is a story with a very clear idea, though. Every lost sinner matters a whole lot to God. Everyone in the 99, they still matter to God. That one does, too. How much? How much do, do they matter? Verse 5, when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. 
The first thing he does, he puts it on his shoulders. Now think about a sheep, probably uh, not the cleanest thing, and he puts it up on his shoulders. I don't know if anyone has animals in the house. We have two cats and a dog, and, and sometimes when you, when you pick up the cats especially and you put it down, you're just covered in hair, and it's nasty. Uh, I, don't, I don't really like it very much. The dog lays in bed with me and puts her head on my pillow. I like her because it's a dog, and you know. But anyway, um, <laughs> he puts the sheep up on his shoulders. He gets dirty. That's how much he loves it. He's willing to get dirty. He's willing to do hard work. When was the last time we've done anything that was, that was hard to reach the one? Second thing he does, he shares in the excitement. When do you share good news with other people? I don't usually tell others small things. I mean, I, I talk to a lot of you uh, often. I mean, Sunday mornings especially, um, share what was going on in the week. But there's little things, like if my my kids get an A on their on a paper or something. All that always happens. Um, but uh, I don't come and tell you because you. I mean, you probably don't care that much. And even if you care about my kids, I didn't mean to say that. They're right there. But uh, but what do, what do we talk about? What do we share with other people? If if someone gets good medical news, I'm definitely going to share it. Uh, I I would. I do. Or someone new starts coming to church or. When we have something worth sharing, we want to share it with others and we want to celebrate. So what matters to Jesus? He says right here in this story, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. What he's saying is, is it's worth celebrating to him and it probably should be worth celebrating to us too. How much does he love us? Verse 7, I tell you in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, he was talking to the, the Pharisees, uh, so I think there's maybe a hint of sarcasm there uh, that they didn't think they needed to repent. Um, but what he's saying here is that there's more rejoicing over the lost, over the one. I don't really know if that seems fair. Wouldn't it be better if it said there would be one one-hundredth of rejoicing over the one lost and the 99 because we're all equal and, and uh, or at least the same? We, the math doesn't add up. Um, years ago, so my kids turned 8 and 10 this week, and I don't want to tell all the stories about them, but I just, I thought this one was perfect. Uh, so they were 1 and 3 or 2 and 4, I can't remember, I know it was before we moved back here, so I, I just say 2 and 4. And we were at Washington Park in Springfield, it was a really nice day, you got your playground equipment, adults everywhere, kids everywhere, and, uh, and we have a good ratio here. Um, with parents to kids, it's two to two, and so um, I just watch one, and she watches one, and uh, and uh, so what happened was, do you remember this? When um, well you don't know what I'm gonna say, I bet you do. We didn't go to Washington Park very often, mostly because of this. So um, so all of a sudden, uh, what was it? Her? I actually couldn't remember. I think it, I thought it was Harper. She was gone. Like they have they have a little playground equipment and there was a tunnel that went this way and I thought okay if she goes in right here and then she comes out over there then okay she went in and then I, you count to like ten or twenty nope she's still not there she hasn't come out yet well what I didn't realize is there was another exit on the back of it and she went out that way and walked over somewhere and I don't remember exactly the details completely but I know that we lost her for forever it felt like but it was probably like twenty seconds and I I remember saying Harper. Harper, and everyone's looking at me. Um, I didn't care because, you know, that's when you love someone, you look for it at all costs, and you'll do whatever it takes. Now, what about, was I happy that Evan was there? Of course. 
We didn't lose her, though. See, when you read this story, the 99 were never, they weren't lost at the time. The one was, so there's this celebration, there's this rejoicing. In another story coming up, which we're not doing today, there's the lost son. Well, the other son was like, why didn't you have a celebration for me? You were here the whole time. There's something about our emotions when we lose something that we love. We want everything we can, we want to do everything possible to get it back. That's this story here. The one matters a lot. Math doesn't add up. 99% win rate, a win percentage, retention rate. You would say that's great. Jesus says, no, that's not good enough. The one matters a lot. If Nathan took see, uh, kids to a Christ and Youth Conference this next summer, let's say he takes 100 kids and he comes back and there's 99, uh, would we say, hey, you did a good job. You brought back 99 of the 100 kids. Wouldn't happen. The 1% matters a lot. Because love changes everything. Jesus said of himself, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. How do the sheep become lost? Does that matter? I mean, probably happens slowly, one step at a time. We've all done it. You know, when you get lost, you think, I'm, I'm, I'm driving, and, and this looks familiar, and I think I made the right turn, and then you keep driving a little bit longer, and this kind of looks familiar, and then you make a couple more turns, and you're like, no, I'm completely lost. It just happens one, one step at a time. Kids, kids do it. They see something that tempts them. Maybe you're at a grocery store or Walmart and, you, and there's candy and the, and the kid sees candy or a toy and they don't care that they're supposed to be staying with their parents and they just kind of walk away slowly. And then you think, well, okay, but that's a kid. And a teenager, um, I think they know better. And then they still do it. They make those decisions that pull them away from God. Adults, I think a lot of times adults just live their own life and, and, uh, and have no clue that they're lost until the consequences start adding up. And then it's like, how did I live this way? Why did, I li- why, why, why did this happen? I'm not saying that bad things won't happen if, when we follow God, but there's a lot of things we could probably prevent. There's an old hymn that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Isaiah said, we all, like sh- the prophet Isaiah, we all like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to his or her own way. We're all sheep. We're all, we're in that hundred. Sheep are not smart. They go off and, and they get lost in bad places. And, and uh, a lot of times that, that lostness doesn't just affect them, it affects their families and all the people around them. Jesus had to get dirty. And that's why we have to get dirty. Sometimes, sometimes the, the sheep, it looks, it looks like this. A real quick video, if you could play this for a second. I wasn't sure if we should have volume because it's not in English, I don't think, and I don't know what they were really saying. But, uh, is this still going on? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, alright. <laughs> it's alright. Let's just keep watching it. This is more fun anyway. You guys are bored with me. <laughs> Sometimes we get lost on purpose. We turn away from God. Um, is it again? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we turn away from God. Um, 
and uh, we turn our backs on knowing what is right. So if the plan is to reach the lost, if that's what we're trying to do, why come back to the sanctuary? Uh, some say that's probably not the best idea. Why do we have traditional and contemporary music? Shouldn't we just do contemporary if we're just trying to reach the, the lost, which I think a lot of times we say is just the younger people. Well, that's not true. There's a lot of, a lot of people who uh, like different styles of music and a lot of people who grew up in a traditional uh, church. Um, we, we can't just assume. But I don't want to try to reach the one alone. Um, I won't disciple everyone. I won't mentor everyone. The staff and elders won't do it alone. We need each other. The, the 99, um, you know, I said the storyteller. I think sometimes the, the other 99 are kind of looking after each other. You know, sometimes we, we might be the one that's starting to get lost, but we're next to someone else. The sheep's next to another one who knows the right path. This is how we share our faith with, with one another. I won't we want this to be a place where someone can be in a church for 80 years and feel comfortable here and someone who's never stepped into a church and still feel comfortable here. That's, that's the goal because we need to have, we need each other here. We need a partnership. We need to have, have uh, mature Christians mentoring new believers, trying to explain the gospel and, and to help them understand that it is life-changing. This is a partnership. And every decision that's been made and that will be made is not to upset anyone. It's so hopefully that we can bring enough unity and bring people together and mentor each other. And, and someone who's gone through these experiences and hardships can share it with someone who never has or, or doesn't know where to look when they do. This is the gospel. It's good news and it's life-changing. Timothy Keller said the gospel of Jesus is not religion or irreligion, morality or immorality, moralism or relativism, conservatism or liberalism, nor is it something halfway along the spectrum between two poles. It is something else altogether. In its view, everyone is, is wrong, everyone is loved, and everyone is called to recognize this and change. There's this terrible idea that the good people like us are in and the bad people who are the real problem with the world are out. Others, even if they don't believe in God at all, do the same thing, saying, no, the open-minded and tolerant people are in, and the bigoted, narrow-minded people are out. But Jesus says, the humble are in and the proud are out. The people who confess they aren't particularly good or open-minded are, are moving toward God, because the prerequisite for receiving grace, the grace of God, is to know that you need it. I want to close with just a, a couple passages that I think... Um, you may have heard before, Jesus said in John 10, this is really good news, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And here's the big one. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus gave his life for every one of us, the 99 plus the one. That's, that's all of us. And then he tells us simply to follow him. So what does that look like when we follow him? When that happens, the result is always the same. It was recorded all the way back in a pretty popular passage, Psalm 23. The very first verse says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Now, do we really believe that? 
It says he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Maybe you don't feel you need a shepherd at the moment. Maybe, it, maybe you feel okay being lost. But when you go through that dark valley, that's when sometimes things start to change. When it feels like we, we, uh, we're lacking everything. We have nothing that we need. We're broken down and exhausted and faced with all kinds of evil, like in this, in this passage here. I hope that you will look to Jesus as your shepherd. He looked to each one of us. All of us were lost at one point. All of us were the one at one point. You know in your life who reached out to you, who mentored you, who discipled you, who brought you into the faith. He did that for each of us. Today, if that's you, I hope that you know how much Jesus loves you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much uh, for this story of love, um, a story of your love for us, and uh, I pray that we would keep it in mind. Uh, first, that we, we would remember how much you love us, and that you proved that by dying on the cross for our sins. Um, and, and then I, I pray that you would help us to love others in the same way that you loved us, that we would do anything possible, that we would give up our comforts, that we would uh, make sacrifices, both in the church, uh, at home, in any part of our life. I just pray that you would help us uh, to prioritize what, what matters to you. And we thank you for this day. And it's Jesus. in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right.